Thank you, and good morning, and a happy Sabbath to you. I'm going to offer a word of prayer, and we'll get into the message for today. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you today, and we thank you for this Sabbath day, and I pray that you would speak through me now as we reflect on Scripture, and we just thank you for this opportunity to worship you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've heard the announcements, and it has been a blessed week for our family. So on Monday, our fourth daughter, Ruby Elizabeth, was born, and she's healthy, and Joelle's doing well, so we're very grateful for that. Um, Joelle did have a, a bit of a complication this pregnancy where she had intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy, which simply means that because of the pregnancy, the liver and the gallbladder were not communicating well with each other, which placed the baby at risk if it were to go to full term. So that's why she was induced three weeks early, and thankfully everything went well. And I do have to say that um, it's amazing to me every time you see a woman push a baby out. It's just amazing. And Joelle's done it four times now, and um, she's a tough lady. That's all I can say. Um, and I'm very impressed. So we're thankful and we're grateful. You know, the name that we picked, um, Ruby was the name of my father's mother, my grandmother, and she died when I was in utero, so I never met her, but she knew that I was on the way. And then Elizabeth is the name of my mother's sister. So it's a name in the family, but there's also Bible meaning to it. And so we're, we're very thankful, and you'll get to meet her pretty soon. Um, she's only five days old, so um, she's still quite young. And yesterday I turned 42, and so Ruby was a, a nice early birthday present for me. So it was a special birthday today celebrating her arrival, and so we're, we're very grateful and we're very thankful. You know, I, I've been blessed with four daughters, and so that's the theme of the sermon for today. You heard the scripture reading about Zelophehad and his daughters, and we are very grateful and we're very thankful to have four beautiful daughters, and no, we're not going to try for a boy in case you're wondering. <laughs> we're very grateful for the four that we have, and we're done at four. We're going to have a nice even number, and I'm 42 now. I don't need to be having more babies anyway. Um, so we're very grateful, and we're very thankful. It's, you know, it's kind of interesting how many people will come up to you and say, are you disappointed? Are you going to try for a boy? And all of that. No, we're good. We're good. We're thankful for what the Lord has given us. The Lord chooses what you have, and um, there's some families here as well that have all girls, and, and we're thankful, and we're grateful, and we're blessed. So that's um, just the update from our family side of things, but I want to go to Scripture, because I, I do find in this story of Zelophehad and his daughters, um, an understanding that, that God has a special place for women in the family of God. And so the title for this message is Daughters of Inheritance. Uh, I got that title from a book written by a, a, an Adventist gentleman named Wellesley Muir. It's a very good book. And I'm going to start now in Numbers chapter 27, and we're going to consider the plight of the daughters of Zelophehad because in their time, if a man didn't have any sons, um, his inheritance would automatically pass to the other 
men in his family, if he had brothers or, or so forth, they would get his inheritance and the daughters would be left out. So this is the basis for this passage in Numbers chapter 27. We also see a little bit more in chapter 36. So we're going to look at this passage again. Numbers chapter 27, starting in verse 1. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. So these were of the descendants of Joseph. Manasseh was the son of Joseph, and there were two tribes in Israel um, from Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim. And so these were uh, from the tribe of Manasseh. And we keep reading here, and it says, and these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and Hagla, and Milcah, and Tirzah. Very beautiful names. I'm sure they were beautiful women. And they stood before Moses and before Eliezer, the priest, and before the princes and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, just to paint the picture of what's happening here, you know, you didn't just go up and talk to Moses. I mean, Moses is kind of like the general conference president of our time. And you have however many hundreds of thousands of Israelites there in the wilderness. I've heard estimates of like two million people. I don't know. But it was a lot of people. So to gain a hearing with Moses was no small task. So it's not like you can just go up and say, hey, I'm going to have a little talk with Moses. This was a big deal that the five daughters of Zelophehad gained an audience with Moses, and obviously they had put a lot of thought and concern into the fact that they would gain a hearing with Moses ahead of time. So it would be like you, if you gained a, a hearing with the conference president or even the general conference president, and you have a certain amount of time, and I'll say this just as an aside, um, from time to time I'll have people who will come and talk to me about a request. If you have that moment of time to talk to someone with a request, you want to make sure that your request is on point and that it's concise and that your reason behind your request is clear. Because when a leader like Moses has 100,000 things on his plate, you can't waste his time. So you better come prepared with your request. So obviously these daughters came well prepared with a request on their behalf. So it says in verse 3, our father, so they're speaking here, they say, our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin and had no sons. Now, notice what they say about their father. They say, he was not of the company that sided with Korah. Now, for those of you who were here two weeks ago, that was my sermon about the rebellion of Korah. And... They had reason to believe that because their father was a righteous man and he had not been in the apostasy or the rebellion of the church at that time, that they had a better chance that the Lord would hear their request than if their father was part of the apostasy. Because many in the congregation 
of Israel had sided with Korah. But Zelophehad was a righteous man, and his daughters um, had a holy boldness, and they came to Moses and said, Our father was not part of the company of Korah. Now notice their request in verse 4, and they have a holy boldness here. When they make this request, they say, Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family? Because he hath no son. Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. Now, this had never been done before. It was just assumed that the inheritance of Zelophehad would be passed along to his brothers or the other men in the family because he had no sons. But they make a proactive request, and they're like, why should his inheritance be done away with? Give us a possession among the brethren of our father. Now, just to make another point of clarification, this is before the children of Israel cross over Jordan into the promised land because Moses is still alive. And so it was a big deal to gain a possession in the new promised land. This is something that they had been waiting 40 years for. And to see their father die and then to not see his name gain an inheritance in the promised land was something they didn't want to see. They thought he was a righteous man. He didn't side with the apostasy with Korah. Why should he lose his inheritance simply because he didn't have a son? Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. Now, again, this is something that they hadn't seen before, so Moses said, I'm going to have to talk to God about this. So notice what happens in verse 5. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. So Moses comes to the Lord. We don't know how long this interaction would have taken place, but he probably says something to the Lord along these lines, like, Lord, the daughters of Zelophehad have made a request. And they come from a righteous family. Their father was a righteous man. He didn't side with the apostasy. And they're asking for an inheritance. I want to make sure that I am doing according to your will. So tell me what I should say to them. So notice verse 6. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren. And thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, then he shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if he have no brethren or brothers, then you shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And it goes on. So, you know, it's interesting. You think, what would have happened if Zelophehad's daughters weren't courageous enough to come to Moses, the leader of Israel, and make this request. So they showed a lot of courage, and the Lord honored the request, and he said, they have spoken right, and they shall surely be given a possession for an inheritance. <clears throat> now, if that's all we had, we wouldn't know the rest of the story, but Numbers 36 actually tells us that there were some stipulations to the inheritance. They weren't necessarily bad, but they were stipulations. And if you pick it up um, 
in verse 5 of Numbers 36. It says, And Moses commanded the children of Israel, according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the sons of Joseph hath said, Well, this is the thing which the Lord doth command concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry to whom they think best, only to the father of the tribe of their father shall they marry, so shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel removed from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers, and every daughter that possesseth an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be wife unto one of the family of the tribe of her father, that the children of Israel may enjoy every man the inheritance of his fathers. Now, if they were to marry outside of their family, of their tribe, they would have lost the inheritance. So God says, it's fine for you to gain an inheritance, but the condition is you stay within your tribe. And then we read that the daughters followed the counsel. You continue in verse 10, it says, Even as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. For Mala, Tirzah, and Hagla, and Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married unto their father's brother's son. So in today's language, they married their cousins. And they were married into the families of the sons of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of the family of their father. Now, some today would say, that's not fair. I should be able to marry whom I want, whenever I want, however I want. But they made a special request to the Lord. God honored their request, but he said, I'm trying to keep the tribes of Israel distinct and unique and in order for that to be so, the families and the tribes need to stay together. So if you want to keep your inheritance, stay within your tribe. And to the credit of Zelophehad's daughters, they didn't rebel against that request. They said, we will do that. And they followed um, according to the word of the Lord. Now notice the Lord said that they could marry whom they think best. So it wasn't as if they were forced to marry they, someone they didn't love but they did have to choose from within the tribe. Now, there's things that we can learn from this story. And this story tells us that God values women as much as he does men, and that while there are distinct roles for men and women in families, um, if a family doesn't have a son, that doesn't mean then that the inheritance of that family is lost. And that's why this story is in the Bible. It also tells us um, how we should relate to conditions that God places upon us. Now, I'm going to just spend a few brief moments in the remaining time of this message just going through a reminder of some of the roles that God has for men and women. And, you know, I dedicate this message to any of, of the the young ladies in this church, because you are all daughters of inheritance. And certainly I think of my own four daughters, but there are a number of young women and young ladies in this church, and, and God has a purpose for you. Um, you know, in the, the, the day and age in which we live with this feminist movement that has hit our culture, it's almost become a thing for women to lose their identity that God has created and the roles that God has placed for men and for women are being lost sight of and being merged into one thing. And I, 
I don't find that to be a biblical approach. It's just simply a product of the culture that we live in today. So in common vernacular, I would say this, men make the best husbands. <laughs> women make the best wives, and men make the best fathers, and women make the best mothers. It's the way God designed for things to be. Now, unfortunately, there are circumstances where parents may be single parents due to circumstances out of their control, and you do the best that you can in those circumstances. But for people to say that two women can be husband and wife, how does that work? And that, it's, There's all sorts of confusion that is coming into society based on culture and not what the Word of God says. Furthermore, I find that there's a loss of appreciation for the role that God has given a woman to be as she grows, grows into adulthood, to be a wife and a mother. And God is looking for women to be mothers in Israel today who will gladly and cheerfully take up the role that God has given them. If we're going to see the finishing of the work and to have a healthy church of God that will go forth to the final conflict, we need healthy families with mothers in Israel who will be examples in the flock of what it means to be a mother and a wife. I want to take you to Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. And this is speaking of the role of wives in the household, where it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then it goes on to say, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So God's ideal in the home is for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and for wives to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. This is what leads to a healthy home setting. And when you have a healthy home setting, this leads to a healthy church family. Now again, I realize we don't live in a perfect world, and there are extenuating circumstances in some cases, but it doesn't excuse the dereliction of duty, so to speak, and the forsaking of roles that God has placed. Now, I'm going to read a few statements to you because sometimes it's amazing to me that in the modern culture that we live in, um, women somehow are losing sight of the amazing value and purpose that God has given to them in this earth. And, and, and so notice what the statement says, Adventist homepage 242, especially does responsibility rest upon the mother. She by whose lifeblood the child is nourished and its physical frame built up imparts to it also mental and spiritual influence that tend to the shaping of mind and character. Now notice this, 
It says, it was Jochebed, the Hebrew mother, who, strong in faith, was not afraid of the king's commandment, of whom was born Moses, the deliverer of Israel. It was Hannah, the woman of prayer and self-sacrifice and heavenly inspiration, who gave birth to Samuel, the heaven-instructed child, the incorruptible judge, the founder of Israel's sacred schools. It was Elizabeth, the kinswoman and kindred spirit of Mary of Nazareth, who was the mother of the Savior's herald. You think about who Moses and Samuel were and John the Baptist and, and of Christ and of what they have meant down through the ages to the cause of God and of what would have happened if their mothers had been altogether different. And obviously Mary would, was picked to be the mother of Jesus because of who she was and God recognized how she would be as a mother. The, the, the eternal value of being a mother is often lost sight of in today's day and age. I'm going to keep reading. The day of God will reveal how much the world owes to godly mothers for men who have been unflinching advocates of truth and reform, men who have been bold to do and dare, who have stood unshaken amid trials and temptations, men who choose the high and holy interests of truth and the glory of God before worldly honor or life itself. You know, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my mother and for the sacrifices that she made. Um, she was educated to be a school teacher, but she chose to stay at home and raise us. And I know that made all the difference for me and for, for my siblings. Now, notice this statement here. This is Adventist on page 245. Mothers who sigh for a missionary field have one at hand in their own home circle. Are not the souls of her own children of as much value as the souls of the heathen? With what care and tenderness should she watch their growing minds and connect God with all their thoughts? Who can do this as well as a loving, God-fearing mother? Now, I realize that some women God doesn't call to be married and to, to have children, and in that, that case, then you have a mission field before you in the world. But if God has called you to be married and to be a mother, you have your mission field right in front of you. That's your mission field. There's not a better mission field that you're going to find. Going on in the next paragraph, there are some who think that unless they are directly connected with active religious work, they are not doing the will of God, but this is a mistake. Everyone has a work to do for the master. It is a wonderful work to make home pleasant and all that it ought to be. The humblest talents, if the heart of the recipient is given to God, will make the home life all that God would have it. A bright light will shine forth as the result of wholehearted service to God. Men and women can just as surely serve God by giving earnest heed to the things which they have heard, by educating their children to live in fear to offend God as can the minister in the pulpit. So, you know, sometimes people think and they'll say, wow, look at that guy, he's up front, and look at the effect that he has with his preaching. But I'm telling you that the work of the mother is of far higher value than someone who gets up and speaks for 30 minutes once a week. The day-to-day -day molding and fashioning of the minds of children is a far higher value than getting up front and preaching. And then Adventist Psalm 246, 
If you ignore your duty as a wife and mother and hold out your hands for the Lord to put another class of work in them, be sure that he will not contradict himself. He points you to the duty you have to do at home. If you have the idea that some work greater and holier than this has been entrusted to you, you are under a deception. By faithfulness in your own home, working for the souls of those who are nearest to you, you may be gaining a fitness to work for Christ in a wider field, but be sure that those who are neglectful of their duty in the home circle are not prepared to work for other souls. So don't say, well, my children are too difficult in the home, so I'm going to go out and be a missionary for the Lord. No, they're your mission field. And that is the highest mission field you could ever have. Listen, I, I can tell you as a father and as a husband that as satisfying as it is to labor in the cause of God and to see people respond to the spoken word and to the message, there's nothing more satisfying than to see my own children's hearts touched by the Spirit of God. Amen. Now, that doesn't then, on the flip side, excuse me and my family, from being witnesses to the world out there as well. Because sometimes I see that happen where they say, we're just going to focus on our family and we're going to wall ourselves off and we're not going to do anything for anybody else. And then you've lost your purpose at that point as well. But you've got to start in the home circle. Going on, the Lord has not called you, this is Adam Psalm 246, the Lord has not called you to neglect your home and your husband and children. He never works in this way and he never will. That's very clear. The Lord has not called you to, ne to neglect your home and your husband and children. He never works in this way and he never will. Never for a moment suppose that God has given you a work that will necessitate a separation from your precious little flock. Do not leave them to become demoralized by improper associations and to harden their hearts against their mother. This is letting your light shine in a wrong way altogether. You are making it more difficult for your children to become what God would have them and win heaven at last. God cares for them, and so must you if you claim to be his child. I mean, that's very clear. And... I know for me and my family, our goal for me and Joel is to raise our daughters to be daughters in Israel who will be satisfied with the role that God has for them in this life. Yes, we want them to go to school. Yes, we want them to gain an education. Yes, we want them to be thinkers and reflectors, not of other men's thoughts. We want them to be able to think for themselves and to be able to reason from cause to effect so that they can raise their children to do the same if time should last. But um, it's not our purpose and hope that we would raise them to neglect the role that God has placed for them as mothers or to be mothers in Israel. One other, a couple of other quotes I'm going to read, and then we're going to go to another passage of Scripture. This is from Signs of the Times, November 3, 1881. The mother's daily influence upon her children is preparing them for eternal life or death. She exercises a power in her home more decisive than the minister in the desk or even the king upon his throne. 
The day of God will reveal how much the world owes to godly mothers for men who have been unflinching advocates of truth and reform, men who have been bold and brave to do and who have stood unshaken amid trials and temptations, men who choose the high and holy interests of truth and the glory of God before a worldly honor or life itself. Listen, this statement is clear that the power that the woman has in her home is more decisive than the minister in the desk or the king upon his throne. And so I look at uh, some of the things that are happening in the church today now, and I'm saying to some of these women, have you lost your calling? Look at the calling that God has for you. The power in your home is more decisive than the minister in the desk. Why would you want to give that up? It's more decisive than the king upon his throne. Why would you want to give that up? And then I, I read this statement in my last sermon, Testimonies, Volume 1457. Those who feel called out to join the movement in favor of women's rights and the so called dress reform might as well sever all connection with the third angel's message. The spirit which attends the one cannot be in harmony with the other. The scriptures are playing upon the relations and rights of men and women. Now, this women's rights movement, if you want to get a. a <clears throat> dissertation level understanding of this movement talk to my mother-in-law here she's done a whole study on it but it was it's basically the feminist movement that basically blurs the distinction between men and women and the role they have at home and in and in society and ellen white says those who feel called out to join this movement might as well sever all connection with the third angel's message that's not our movement. That's not our cause to be fighting for. And if that's the cause that you think you should be fighting for, you've severed all connection with the third angel's message. God has given us a message to give to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people to share the everlasting gospel that reveals that God can transform our hearts to be like him. And it starts in the home where the hearts of the fathers will be turned to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. But if we're blurring the lines of distinction between men and women, we're creating a confusion that God never designed should exist. Testimonies, Testimonies Volume 1, page 457. Now, I want you to go to Proverbs 31. This is a familiar passage, and I'm going to read this to wrap up our message. We're not going to read all the verses, but, you know, I'm going to mention this. I'm so thankful for my wife, and I was telling my mother-in-law last night how thankful I am for how she and my father-in-law raised Joel. But, um, you know, when I first was interested in Joel, I found a blog she had written, thanks to the Internet, um, about being a Proverbs 31 woman. And I was like, that's the kind of girl I want. Someone who wants to be a Proverbs 31 woman. And is thankful that the Bible has identified what a virtuous woman looks like. And I like verse 10 where it says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? I like that. We just named our daughter Ruby. And I pray that she will be a virtuous woman like this. You know, a virtuous woman is someone, as verse 11 says, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. You know, I know I've talked about in some of my previous messages here how thankful I am that I didn't end up with previous interests because I know, well, really, 
there's only one that I can think of in the past among a few that I would not have been able to trust. Or men, if you're out there and you're listening and you're still single, don't go for a flash-in-the-pan type of girl that you can't trust. Someone that is leaving the door open to other guys in case you're not interesting enough. That's not the kind of girl you want. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. You know, I'm so thankful. I I know that I can trust my wife, and I want to raise my daughters to have that same character. But the thing is, it's so much easier to do that if that's the way their mother is. And ladies, that's the way you want to raise your daughters to be. Raise your daughters to be the type of woman that will do her husband good and not evil all the days of her life. Someone that is trustworthy. And then verses 13 through 22 talks about how a virtuous woman knows how to selflessly manage the household. How to find good deals out in the, in, on the town and to, to buy clothes at a good price and merchandise at a good price. And the husband who's off busy working doesn't even have to worry about what she's doing. Now, notice verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. So I read some statements from Ellen White about how Ellen White says that many a mighty man will be known because of the mother that raised him. But I think this verse also makes it very clear that if a man is truly going to be used of God, to be known among the elders of the land when he sits in the gate, so to speak, to be someone in ministry, in in today's language, someone who is in ministry and, and who is known for giving a message that is preparing a people for the coming of the Lord and who lives his life in such a way that encourages other people to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Behind that husband is a virtuous woman. Without that woman of Proverbs 31, he's not going to be known like that. And I can tell you this, um, I have seen pastors whose ministries have been ruined by their worldly wives. They had an understanding and a love and a desire for, their, for the message, but the woman wasn't interested in following the counsel of Scripture. She wanted to be um, Little Miss Hollywood or whatever else you want to call it, and his ministry suffered because of that. And God has a place for men and women in the work and the cause of God. Men and women that work together as a team um, where they are both in ministry can be used by God to do a great work. And there is a place for women in ministry, and that is to work side by side with her husband so that if women need someone to come and counsel with, look, if, if a lady comes to me and says, I'm having trouble in my marriage, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have her talk to my wife. I'm not going to talk to you. Mm-mm. That's not my place. But if a man has a problem, he comes talks to me. He doesn't talk to my wife about that. No way. 
so there is a place for men and women in ministry where women who are close to the Lord, who are virtuous women, can give counsel as mothers in Israel to other women who may be going through issues. And so, um, but again, when you look at the roles that God has defined in 1 Timothy 3, the bishop is the husband of one wife who rules his house well because he's the head of the home. The scripture is plain on the relations of men and women. And so women who, like the daughters of Zelophehad, are satisfied with the inheritance that God has given them. And God said, you have an inheritance, and the condition to that inheritance is that you marry within the tribe. And God says to women today, you have an inheritance. You're about to enter into the heavenly Canaan, and I have given you an inheritance. I have given you a role, and in fact, your role is so powerful, it's more decisive than the minister in the desk or even the king upon his throne. Why would you want to give that up? And I hope and I pray that Joel and I, by the grace of God, will raise our daughters to have a desire to, to be that type of woman. And I pray that every young woman that is, is here today would have a desire to be that kind of woman. You know, going on in, in Proverbs 31, it wraps up. It says, Her children arise up, and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. And you know, that can be true for every woman. For every husband, he can look upon his wife and say, that's my wife. It doesn't have to be exclusive to one family. If a woman fears the Lord, that can be the experience in every home. And notice what verse 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And I can tell you, you know, look, obviously as a man, you, you're going to be attracted to your wife and you're going to find her to be, to be beautiful. But at the end of the day, if all you're looking at is the physical beauty and there isn't a character that matches that beauty, you're going to find that that beauty is vain. And, you know, I've, it's a bit hard to believe now I'm 42. The last 20 years have gone by in seemingly five years. It's gone by fast, and it goes by faster. And I realize that before I know it, my daughters are going to be grown up on me. But I've seen, even among my friends who've been married less than I have been married, um, decisions that have been made where um, the priorities that God has given to a husband and wife have not been made paramount, and it's led to serious conflict in the home. So I might, I might not be 60, 70, or 80, where some of you have more experience in life than I have, but even in my 42 years, I see people in my age range who haven't followed this counsel, who are not happy. And the people that are happiest are the ones who cheerfully follow what God asks us to do. Because God doesn't ask us to accept our roles where he says, okay, these are the roles that I'm giving you, and I know they're horrible. You're going to be miserable following these roles, and when you get to heaven, then you can just throw it all caution to the wind and can do whatever you want. No, the Lord has given these roles to us because he knows that this is what will make us happiest in our home environment. 
and home is a sanctuary on earth. And if we're not happy at home, we're not happy anywhere. And what I'm seeing from this story in the Daughters of Zelophehad and what I see from Proverbs 31 and what I see from these statements from Ellen White is that a happy home, you need a, a, a husband who is willing to take on the leadership of the home in the fear of God, who will love his wife the way Christ loves the church. And you need a wife who cheerfully accepts the role that God has given her, which is more decisive than the minister in the desk and the king upon his throne. Yes, the husband's the head of the home, but the wife's role in raising the children is more decisive. And that's amazing. And that's a role that I don't get to have. I can get up here and say a few words once or twice a month here in this church as an elder, and that has some value. But ladies, the, the work that you're doing in your home is of far greater value than what I'm doing right now. So don't feel like you've missed your calling in life because God has called you to be a mother. That's a greater calling than what God has called men to be. Be thankful for being a daughter of inheritance. The inheritance that God has given to you is an, is an inheritance that exceeds the value of, of any career or job or anything else that, that could come your way. Because when you get to heaven, the first thing you're going to look for are your children. And it's not going to matter how much money you've made and how many titles you had and how much success you had and how much of a hard bargainer you were, whatever it may have been, the Lord is going to say, where's your flock? And the power you have as a mother makes all the difference as to whether or not your children will be in the kingdom. It's a high calling, but be thankful for the blessing that God has given to you as a mother. Amen. was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.